the State of Florida Sports Podcast, presented by the USA Today Network. Here's your host, Tim Walters. Just how good are the Miami Dolphins? When they play teams they're supposed to win against, they win. But when they face different competition, not so much. The Dolphins have rolled in wins over losing teams like the Broncos, Patriots, Panthers, and Giants. But when they play good teams like the Bills and Eagles, they fall short. Their best win this season was in their opener when they staved off the Chargers 36-34. This weekend, the Dolphins travel some 4,800 miles to Frankfurt, Germany to meet their toughest challenge yet in the Kansas City Chiefs. The last time the Dolphins left the country, in 2021, they lost to the Jacksonville Jaguars 23-20. Can the Dolphins get over the hump against a top-notch team, or will they be flying home with a post-Oktoberfest hangover? To help break down this game, I welcome back longtime Dolphins reporter and columnist Hal Habib of the Palm Beach Post. Hal will make heads or tails of this team and tell us what to expect as they head overseas. Hello again, everybody. I'm Tim Walters, and thank you once again for joining me on the State of Florida Sports Podcast, powered by the USA Today Network. This podcast utilizes our Florida Sports Network of beat writers, columnists, and some special guests to bring you up to speed on the most important sports topics. Our Florida network consists of 17 news sites that encompass the state. We encourage you to subscribe to your hometown newspaper and, of course, this podcast to help support the incredible journalism done by our talented staffs. Hal Habib is one of the most seasoned reporters you'll find covering a team anywhere. Let's bring him in and start picking his brain. Hal, welcome back to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. Absolutely. So before we start talking about Germany, I want to quickly talk about the game that took place this past weekend as the Dolphins defeated the Patriots. Now in that game, New England struck first, but it was almost all Dolphins after that. So just give me a quick breakdown of the win. Uh, already their second this year against New England, and they got Jalen Ramsey back. That was really the biggest takeaway right there. Uh, Jalen Ramsey coming back, and it's not even November. I mean... <laughs> When he went down in late July, everybody was looking at December or maybe optimistically looking at December, I should say. Uh, and for him to come back and it's still October, um, that that is nothing but a big plus for the Dolphins. And, uh, you know, it's a little bit like last year in reverse in that last year the injuries piled up on Miami as the season went on. And this year, despite... Some of the signs we saw against the Patriots, the Dolphins might actually be getting healthier as the season goes on. I know there's still a way to go with some guys coming back, but, you know, Teron Armstead is on the brink of making his return. And that guy has just had the worst luck uh, in terms of his body letting him down. But if he can uh, hold up through the rest of the season, that'll be a big plus at left tackle. It shouldn't be too much longer before we see Devon Achan back in the backfield. And then uh, you got a big puzzle going on as far as the offensive line, Tim. I mean, uh, I was sitting there in the press box the other day, and and uh, the, one of the questions that came up, at least for me, was, you know, if, if they get one or two more injuries on the offensive line, who are they going to put out there? Uh, they would have been forced to literally have someone play offensive line who's probably a tight end. Uh, it, it, it got that dire. So, you know, with any kind of luck with Armstead coming back and hopefully Connor Williams is just, you know, an inch away from returning as well. 
they can get that first team offensive line uh, going and and that'll really uh, solidify that part of it. Having said that, I, I got to say that the offensive line for all the moving pieces, they've played 10 guys at various points in the season. And yet the pass protection for Tua has been really good. Uh, the one thing that has suffered is the run game, partially because of, like I said before, HN is out, uh, but also the running lanes haven't really been there for Raheem Mostert uh, the past couple of weeks. But, you know, I'm sitting here picturing what it would look like to have a, a tight end playing uh, offensive line. I mean, you know, someone like uh, Durham Smythe, he's got the size at 6'6", 246, but uh, he, he needs about another 50 or 60 pounds. And uh, let's see, Tyler Croft, it looks like he comes in at 6'6", 252. So, boy, uh, it's probably a good thing that it hasn't come down to that. But uh, interesting scenario for the Dolphins. But, yeah, that, that seems to be a problem with a lot of teams including the Jaguars, who I cover, their offensive line has just been piecemeal. And, you know, midway through the season, that's going to happen. But let's move on to the next next game now, because, you know, the, the Dolphins, they travel, you know, roughly 5,000 miles to Germany. They're going to take on the Super Bowl defending champion Kansas City Chiefs, who are actually coming off a bad loss to Denver this past weekend. So, uh, you know... I guess first and foremost, what can you tell us about what's going on in Germany, their practice schedule for the Dolphins, what day they traveled, what days they'll be doing what? Yeah, they uh, they got away a little bit earlier, uh, a lot earlier actually than they normally would for a road game. Uh, they flew over to Frankfurt on Monday. Uh, they had some quick meetings and then hopped on the plane. Uh, and now... Um, Tuesday, it's uh, their standard players day off, and and that's very much on purpose because Mike McDaniel wanted to give the players a little bit of time to uh, kind of take in the sights as a group. Uh, he's hoping that they uh, have some team bonding going on and and get some of the sightseeing out of the way so that they can focus on the business at hand as the week goes on. For the most part, Tim. Um, if you showed me this practice schedule and just put your hand over the words Frankfurt, Germany, I wouldn't have thought anything unusual is going on. It looks like a typical practice week in Miami Gardens, frankly. Uh, they they have some major practices on Wednesday and Thursday, a little bit of a lighter practice on Friday. And then uh, there's uh, things kind of quiet down on Saturday so players can really get prepped up for uh, Sunday morning and what's to come against the Chiefs over in Frankfurt. All right. And just for people who are wondering about the field they're playing at, it's called Deutsche Bank Park. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. It's normally used for soccer. And I was reading that in the week leading up to the football game, they changed the stadium's field from 100% natural grass to a hybrid surface to accommodate the football game, and they seat, uh, looks like comfortably close to 50,000 fans. So if people are wondering, that is where the two teams will be playing. So, you know, uh, you were were talking to me before the show about how quickly tickets went. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Because it sounds like there is some fandom there in Germany. Yeah, um, the Dolphins, uh, not just the Dolphins, actually, the NFL in general seems to have hit on something that benefits them and fans abroad alike. And and that is this, uh, call it a novelty or fascination or just fandom 
where uh, fans across the world are catching on to this thing called the NFL. And so the, the game in Frankfurt sold out inside of like 10 or 15 minutes. I talked to a couple of guys who wanted to go to the game last weekend. And when they saw some of the prices on the secondary market, they decided to come to Miami Gardens and catch the Dolphins and Patriots instead. So that gives you some idea of the demand over there. Um, it, it's something that the uh, NFL is only going to expand upon as they try to uh, kind of take over the world. And, you know, hey, if there's money to be made, uh, the NFL uh, is not uh, bashful about collecting those funds. And they're just going to keep uh, widening their scope. Uh, you got to love how capitalism is alive and well in Germany, considering it's pre-war history. So good, good to hear that they can rip you off there just as well as the secondary market can rip you off here. <laughs> um, you know, I wonder if people are still clamoring for the uh, the Rhine fire and Danny Werfel. Remember that era? NFL Europe. Uh, I probably have not uh, in my time sat through an entire NFL Europe game, uh, I have to confess. But <laughs> I think the fans there would rather see the real thing, and, and they're getting it now, so good for them. And, and keep in mind, too, that uh, thanks to things like uh, the the world version of uh, NFL Sunday Ticket, uh, fans in, in so many parts of the world can uh, not only watch, you know, maybe the game of the week uh, on, on live TV, but they can have their pick of games now uh, in so many cities, so... Uh, good for them. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, you haven't been to Germany particularly, but you've been to international games in London in games against where the Dolphins have played the Jets, the Raiders, and, and the like. Do you like the international games, and why or why not? Um, I do. Um, you know, it's it's something that I think the players enjoy. It's a, it's a change of pace. Yeah, it's a long flight and all, and it's probably not the most pleasant experience if you're flying back after a loss, uh, you know, and on a plane for eight plus hours, that can't be the greatest feeling in the world. But, you know, you go to these international games and I'm picturing as I'm speaking, uh, hanging out outside Wembley Stadium before a Dolphin game. And you can pick any NFL franchise you like and you stand there for just a few minutes and I guarantee you, you'll see a fan wearing that team's jersey. All 32 teams are represented jersey-wise in the stands, uh, and, and it's, it's, it's a pretty cool thing to see. And I remember um, one fan in particular uh, before a Dolphin game outside Wembley was wa- walking in wearing a Dolphins 39 jersey. So being the wise guy I am, I went up to him. It was a British guy. And I said, well, what do you know about Larry Zonka? And he goes on to tell me all about the history of the 72 Dolphins and Larry Zonka splitting the backfield with Mercury Morris and Jim Kick and on and on. And he shut me up in a hurry. (laughs) Sounds like that guy was waiting his entire life for somebody to ask him that question. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Well, you know, I recently wrote a column, and I'm not sure if you saw it or not, 
but it looked at seven places where the NFL could potentially play NFL games that they have not yet. So, of course, they've played now in Germany, in London. They've had past games in Canada and Mexico, but that that's really about it regular season-wise. And they've played, you know, preseason games in a lot of different countries, but, you know, that's just the regular season. So if you were looking to expand to uh, some venues elsewhere, what other countries do you think would be good places to host an NFL game? Well, I actually sketched out a list of uh, cities and and uh, countries where I think the NFL uh, would would have to take a serious look at, and I think probably all the places on my list have had either the Olympics or World Cup in their past, which tells me that they are capable of hosting a big time sporting event. And, and adjusting their their facility for NFL standards. Uh, you know, I'm looking at places like Rome, Paris, South Africa, if you want to really take a long trip. Uh, Barcelona would be cool. Uh, I'm going to hit you with one that, <laughs> wow, uh, Sydney, flight time to Sydney, 21 hours and 20 minutes. That, uh, talk about a road trip. That would be one. Um what about uh, Tokyo and then look in uh, South America, places like Rio and Buenos Aires? Uh, there are all kinds of places where the NFL can uh, widen its appeal. Um, so those are just some. And if you really, really want to get crazy, um, you know, you always hear the term about uh, December games at Lambeau Field and the frozen tundra and all. Uh, I think it's time the NFL played a game in Greenland and, and we get a real frozen tundra game. How about that? <laughs> well, you know, you hit a lot of the ones that were actually on my list. I had Rome in there. I did not have Paris. I had South Africa, but I went with Cape Town because it's down there near the water. I'd love to go shark watching and sightseeing. I had Sydney, and here was my idea, Hal. Tell me about this. With Sydney, you know, I was watching World Cup games at 6 o'clock in the morning. Imagine you have a 6 a.m. football game in Sydney followed by a 9.30 a.m. game in London, followed by your 1 o'clock slate, your 4 o'clock slate, and your 8.20 game. We're talking like 18 hours of football. Are you in on that? Uh, I, I guess you're really, <laughs> testing, you're really testing me now, but, you know, it, it's, it's enough of a test for a fan. I'm just thinking about a guy like Scott Hansen hosting the NFL Red Zone. That would be a guy who'd really have to, you know, he'd have to be in great shape to handle something like that, huh? <laughs> well, you know, they go off the air after the four o'clock game, so he'd only have to work about a 13-hour day. <laughs> yeah, well, talk about, uh, you know, b- bathroom breaks and all of that, too. You know, it's, it's a rough life. Oof, good point. I didn't even think about bathroom breaks. Yep, he, he's got to be on there constantly. I love the Greenland. I also had one of our other sports editors in Daytona say they should hold it in Iceland, which is a beautiful place. So we're thinking of the great Nordic North where it's nice and cold. Oh, well, great ideas there, Hal. We'll have to see where they eventually expand because, you know, they're going to go to other international cities. So, you know, I talked about it in the open, but the Dolphins have beaten the teams this year that they're supposed to beat. But they struggled in losses to the Bills and Eagles. So when you look at this team, how good are they? And what is it that the Bills and Eagles were able to do to slow the offense? Because aside from that, in their six wins, 
every team they played came into the game against the Dolphins with a losing record. So they, they haven't beaten a team with a winning record. So tell me, uh, you know, what, what is it that slows them down and uh, that, that made the Bills and Eagles have their number? Um, I think uh, to some extent, you know, it, well, it's two things. You know, the Bills and Eagles have good teams. So let's start there. You know, there's no getting around it. Uh, those were also road games in very difficult atmospheres for the Dolphins. Uh, especially with the Eagles, I think they came out, kind of punched the Dolphins in the nose, and the Dolphins weren't able to uh, respond the way they wanted to in that game. Um, and it's unfortunate because I think that uh, it's one thing to beat a good team in your home stadium, and the Dolphins are on actually one of the best runs they've ever been on, even going back to the Orange Bowl days. Uh, in terms of beating teams at home, they 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 have definitely established a home field advantage at Hard Rock Stadium. So I'll give them credit for that. And that's whether they're playing good teams or mediocre or whatever. Uh, it's all over the board. But I think the real test is when they can go into a uh, go into another team's stadium and beat a good team there, especially under trying conditions. Uh, they've yet to prove they can do that. Now, you know, after Kansas City, they, they're playing the Raiders, uh, the Jets twice, the Commanders and Titans. And that's not the most imposing uh, five games you could ever imagine. Uh, but here's the thing. I think we're really going to learn what this team is all about the final three weeks of the regular season. They play Dallas. They play at Baltimore which hasn't forgotten that major comeback the Dolphins pulled off uh, the last time up there. And then they play Buffalo at home. So those are the games that are really going to tell us how good this team is. And the reason we focus on those kind of games, it's very simple. You know, people, some fans have, you know, criticized reporters like me for putting too much on the uh, loss to the Eagles and all, but, the fact of the matter is you get to the playoffs, you play January football. Those are the time type of games uh, you're going to, to face. And uh, unless you're banking on home field advantage throughout the playoffs, you're going to have to go into a place like Philly if you're in the NFC or like Kansas City if you're in the AFC and Buffalo for that matter. You're going to have to go into the places like that and, and beat good teams uh, under – who knows what kind of weather, too. So that's where the acid test is. You don't just flip a switch and all of a sudden go from beating the Broncos by 50 to stepping into Highmark Stadium and, and beating the, the Bills uh, in a playoff situation. That doesn't just happen automatically. Yeah, and the good news for the Dolphins is that last game of the season is at Miami against Buffalo, so that takes out the possibility of snow and other awful things that can happen up in Buffalo. Um, you know, I want to look now at uh, Tua. You can't get through a conversation with the Dolphins without talking about their quarterback. He is leading the league in passing yards, and the only person that was anywhere near him, Kirk Cousins, is now out for the season with a an Achilles tear. So he had big numbers this past weekend, a little bit of a low QBR at 60.8. He did throw an interception and was sacked a couple of times. But assess his play so far this season, and how nice was it to see his top two receivers in Jalen Waddell and Tyree Kill both going over that 100-yard barrier, something we saw a lot last season. But, you know, Waddell's been banged up, and there's been some other things. So it, just talk 
about Tua's play and the offense? Well, it was good to see Waddle get over 100 for the first time this year. He's certainly a, a, a quality receiver, and um, it's it's no surprise whenever he gets into triple digits, certainly. And anytime he and Tyreek hit uh, over 100 yards, it's it's kind of assumed that the Dolphins probably won that game. Uh, but in terms of Tua himself, you know, I, I go back to the fact that entering the season, I, I kind of sort of erased everything I knew about Tua. I wanted to go in with a clean slate and see what he could do with uh, a head coach and an offensive coordinator he's familiar with, not a new guy, which has been the story of his career, really. Uh, and, and with the quality receivers, hopefully with an offensive line that could protect him. And as it turned out, it has. Um, and so the question then becomes, what is Tua going to do with all of those tools around him and with all the experience he has? And, you know, you can put out all kinds of stats and QBRs and everything else. But all I would ask people to do is look, you know, trust your eyes. What have you seen? I've heard someone say, well, Tua, he's he's uh, accurate or he's a system quarterback or this and that. Well, if the worst thing you can say about a quarterback is he's accurate, yeah, that's a pretty good thing to say. I, I like that quality in my quarterbacks. Uh, in terms of being a system guy, I'm not even sure what that really means. I mean, what it means to me is kind of nothing. Um, it's, it's Chris Greer's job and Mike McDaniel's job to put the best team together that they can. And Tua seems to be a damn good quarterback for what the Dolphins have put together in my book. And it doesn't matter to me, you know, would Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen be doing this in Miami's system? I, you know, I don't really care. All I care about is what is Tua doing in this system with Tyreek and Waddle and, and all the other guys around him and, you know, they're putting up points galore. Um, he's he's really making good decisions most of the time. Um, I don't know what more you could you could ask for. He's actually ahead of Dan Marino's pace in 1984. Think about that. Did we ever think that we would see a quarterback surpassing Marino's pace in 1984 at the midseason point? Um, so all this this talk and back and forth about Tua, uh, just trust your eyes, watch what they're doing. And, and, and the things that they're doing are things that you haven't seen before in the NFL. And, and if they can pull it off and especially against those last three games that I cited before, then I don't see where there's any more room for debate. No, and you know I can I can't speak for Patrick Mahomes, but I believe if you put Josh Allen back there on the Dolphins' offense, he'd throw more interceptions than Tua. I think that that's probably something that would happen. I agree. Yeah, yeah. and he, you know, Allen has his uh, spurts that he goes through where ball security seems optional to him. Great quarterback, but you know you can't be careless with the ball, especially in January. Yeah, a little bit of that recklessness that I think Brett Favre used to have a little bit of, too. But, you know, hey, good quarterbacks, but sometimes too many INTs. Let's talk about the running game real quick, because Raheem Mostert, he's having a great season. Sixth in the league in rushing yards, first in rushing touchdowns. 
But I think people were even more fascinated by his backfield mate, Devin. Is it a Chan or a Chain? I've I've heard them say it a couple of different times. But um, he, you know, he's been out. He's not going to play in Germany. But after their two weeks off, do you think we could see him back and get that one-two punch back against the Raiders, or do you think it's going to be further than that? Um, I think, you know, keep in mind that after the uh, Chiefs game, the Dolphins have that bye. So that's kind of like a bonus rest week for HN. And and I do look for him to come back very shortly after that. I mean, keep in mind, the game he got injured, um, I actually spent quite a bit of time with him in his locker post-game. He didn't have any ice on his knee. There was never any hint that he was in any pain or any kind of discomfort. Uh, it kind of hit us really the day after that uh, the the hit he had taken, you know, was was causing him some kind of distress. But um, I I really Tim I can't be any higher can't be any higher on on his potential than I am really. Um, when I look at some of the things he can do, the qualities he has. Uh, his ability to read the game, read defenses, pick his hole, uh, stop on a dime and change direction. And, of course, we all know about his quickness, his speed. It's just off the charts. Uh, this this kid really has everything you would want in a running back. And so when he comes back, it's going to be a totally different offense to some degree. Uh, and it'll be one that's going to be fun to watch again. So. Uh, I'm looking forward to that. I, I can't see too much of this kid. I, he's he's really a dynamic player. Yeah, he was incredible in the in the few games that we actually got to see him play in. So hopefully he can stay healthy once once he gets back in the lineup. We've talked a lot about offense. Let's look at the defensive side of the ball now. I believe if I've done my math right, and I'm a journalist, so I may not have, but I believe they give up 25 and a half points per game. And right now, when you look at their secondary, Xavier uh, Howard has one interception, and Jalen Ramsey has the one in his return game, but they don't have a lot of interceptions this year. And Bradley Chubb is way down the list with five sacks. He's the tops on the Dolphins. I think he's maybe 25th or 30th in the league in sacks. So, you know, just talk about the defense, how much better they can be, what hasn't worked, you know, what's going to get better as the season goes on. Well, the first thing that's going to get better as the season goes on is the secondary, because we still haven't seen the secondary. Um, <laughs> you know, once um, yeah, once Xavier Howard comes back from the groin injury, and I think that was largely the reason they wanted to rest him as much as possible, maybe going into the Chiefs game and, and possibly even extend that beyond the bye. But once he gets healthy, and the two outside corners are Xavier Howard and Jalen Ramsey. Uh, that changes so much of what Vic Fangio can do schematically. And then also toss in Nick Needham coming back. And all of a sudden, that's the Dolphins secondary that everybody expected back in July. At the same time, uh, David Long and Jerome Baker are really starting to get it together at linebacker on the edge. You mentioned Bradley Chubb, uh, who is really starting to hit form now, even though his sack total may not be what uh, people probably would have wanted. The fact is he's got four in the past three games, and he's really starting to play well. 
and uh, I think he's capable of creating turnovers. Uh, and and you put him together with Jalen Phillips, and you got something on the edge. And and suddenly, you know, I've talked about all three levels of the defense, and they're they're starting to show signs that they can pull it all together, and then that will enable Vic Fangio to call everything he wants to call. Uh, so. You know, provided they can avoid any further injury, um, we'll finally get a, a sense. Because right now, we I don't think anybody really knows what they have on defense. It's constantly a mash unit in the NFL. Like I said earlier, especially at the midseason point where these guys have taken pretty good beating up to this point. So now, Hal, the, the next question, I, I feel as though I'm contractually obligated to ask this because they play the Kansas City Chiefs. But don't I won't mention the I won't mention the names of the tight end or his pop star girlfriend, but I am curious about this because, you know, that pop star girlfriend has been the focal point a lot. You go to Miami, which is where there are a lot of people of glitz, glamour, and fame. So have you ever been at a Dolphins game where you see a celebrity and you're like, oh my God, that's so-and-so? Like, who are the celebrities that you see that you're taken aback by down there in Miami? Uh... Well, I, I would have to widen it to sporting events in South Florida in general, because at Dolphin Games, you know, in the old days when Steve Ross first bought the team, they had that dreaded orange carpet. But in general, they tend to go in uh, in sort of that sweet uh, entryway, which is not near the media entryway, probably not by design. But, uh, you know, they, they hang out in suites and whatnot. So. We don't really uh, encounter them too much, but at things like Heat Games, Panther Games, and so forth, I uh, uh, run into my share of them. I One time I did a, a story as uh, Heat Games were becoming the place to be way back when, and celebs were all lining up in the front row courtside seats. And that's when I did a story on uh, the celebs who were flocking to the Heat and you know, I did some interviews with guys like Jimmy Buffett and Clarence Clemens, who's in Bruce Springsteen's band. And, you know, I, I ran into Springsteen at, at an equestrian event. Um, at the Panthers, um, I almost hesitate to bring this up, but I met some guy, uh, I think his name is Jared from Subway. At a Panther oh, game. no. <laughs> oh, no. But, hey, on the brighter side... Um, one of the guys I met uh, who really stuck with me at a Panther game as well up in the press box was a guy named Matt Eversman. Uh, name may not mean anything to you, but um, if you saw the movie Black Hawk Down, he was one of the uh, soldiers who was kind of trapped in that situation and came out a hero. So it was great to meet him at one of the Panther games. Now, so you have seen your share of famous people. Springsteen, now that that's a name that can rival that of Taylor Swift. But, you know, unfortunately, sadly, you mentioned Jimmy Buffett. There will be one less fan courtside at Heat Games this year. God rest his soul. And also, 
the biggest Florida Panthers fan going right now might be Brooks Kepka, who was celebrating probably more than the team was last year as they were trying to win the finals. So a lot of, a lot of big celebrities down there in Miami, but we know where the cameras will be pointed, but who knows if she'll be there in Germany. So we've done what we were contractually obligated to do, Hal. Now we can move on to our regularly scheduled programming. And uh, the only thing I have left to ask is this, you know, we've talked about the Dolphins, we've talked about Germany, we've talked about offense, defense, anything else that we should mention about this team or this upcoming game before I let you go? Well, after we wrap up, I'm going to be working on a project that won't come out for a couple of weeks now, but um, they've asked me to look into uh, stories about the Dolphins and their history with Thanksgiving games. And, uh, you know, the Dolphins play on Black Friday, the first NFL Black Friday game against the Jets. And so we thought it would be a fun thing to look back at some of the memorable Thanksgiving games and uh, I talked to players who were involved in games like the Leon Lett game that we all remember. And I go back, even more fun was a 1977 Thanksgiving Day game that ended up in a massive brawl between the Cardinals and Dolphins. And all I can tell you is I wish that active players felt the freedom to tell stories about what's really going on, what's really set on the field. Uh, in heated moments like that, because I talked to some uh, retired players and the stories they could tell, it's just hilarious. So I'm looking forward to getting that piece together and letting everybody know what it was really like when the Dolphins and Cardinals got together and the NFL wound wound up finding just about everybody in the stadium. Well, that's awesome. I look forward to reading that. And of course, that will be at palmbeachpost.com. And if I remember your X handle, it is Gunner Hal. Is that correct? G-U-N-N-E-R Hal. Yes. Go Arsenal. All righty. And then one bonus question for you, Hal, because I have a story I'm working on where I'm looking at the 6-2 and two Dolphins and the 6-2 and two Jacksonville Jaguars, who are tied with two other teams for the best record in the AFC. And I'm going to be breaking down offense, defense, teams they've both played, best win, best loss. And then we're going to put it up to a vote for people. Do you think the better team is the Dolphins or the Jaguars? So if you had to vote right now, Hal, uh, do you stick with the team that's on your beat or do you go with the Jacksonville Jaguars? Um, I would not be going with the Jaguars. All righty. Well, considering the last time the Dolphins left the country, they played the Jaguars with Urban Meyer in London and they lost. And then they also lost in the preseason. But if they were to go to head to head in the playoffs, that would be just an awesome and entertaining thing. And to further plug that story, we are taping with Hal on a Tuesday. Of course, our information is good all the way through game time on Sunday. But that story should be up around the state on Wednesday. And we include sites in Pensacola, Fort Walton Beach, Panama City, Tallahassee, Gainesville, Ocala, Leesburg, Lakeland, Sarasota, Fort Myers, Naples, West Palm Beach, Stewart, Fort Pierce, Port St. Lucie, Vero Beach, Brevard County, Daytona Beach, St. Augustine, and Jacksonville. So Hal, nobody covers the state of Florida like we do, right? Did you mention Yeehaw Junction in there? We cover them too, right? (laughs) I've been through there once. Uh, You drive all the way down the middle of the state and you hang a left and you end up in Vero Beach. So Thanks for mentioning Yeehaw Junction. Hal, it's always a pleasure talking to you, and I look forward to having you on again soon. Thanks, Tim. And that will do it for this episode of the State of Florida Sports Podcast. I'm Tim Walters, 
And to quote former longtime German Chancellor Angela Merkel, when it comes to human dignity, we cannot make compromises. Wise words for a challenging world. Thanks for listening and join me again next time. Thank you.